Hello and welcome to another episode of the VCDX podcast, a monthly podcast focused on the VCDX certification with news, updates, advice and special guests. My name is Simon Long, VCDX number 105, and in this episode, my special guest will be answering some of our listeners' questions around the VCDX NV certification. Here's a taste of what's coming up. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's, if it impacts your design, you're going to get asked. Understanding the routing protocols, how they, how they function, and how a change in your design may affect what you have configured in your physical design is, is quite important. But we're not going to come out of the blue, and if you don't have KVM or containers in your design, that we're going to say, oh, hey, tell me about containers. Let's kick off with the news and updates section. There's not very much news or updates to report in this episode. The only thing to note is if you're planning on defending your VCDX in March of 2020, next year, your application is due on January the 3rd. So you've still got plenty of time until that January 3rd deadline, but it's worth keeping that uh, note in your diary as uh, I'm pretty sure that will come around way sooner than you think, especially with the holidays coming up as well. So January the 3rd is a deadline submission date for the applications for the March VCDX panels. Other than that, I, for those of you who were at VMware Barcelona, we hope you enjoyed the VCDX workshop there. And also the online VCDX workshop, which we had just this week. I hope for those of you who are unable to visit a workshop in person, we're able to get online and, and ask the questions that you need answering. So with that, let's head into our special guest interview. You're listening to the VCDX podcast. Moving on to our guest interview. Who is this episode's special guest? Give me your name and your number. Joe Silvaggi, uh, VCDX number 175. Hey, welcome, Joe. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the VCDX podcast. Uh, I know we've been trying to organize this and, and get you on for a long time. It's been busy times with both VMworlds here in the US and over there in Barcelona as well. And I think you've just returned from Barcelona. How was, how was the trip? Oh, it was a good trip. Lots of customer meetings. Good to connect up with a lot of colleagues and uh, past coworkers. So it's a good trip as always. Yeah. Now VMworld season is done, thankfully, for another year. And uh, it'll be very soon before they open up a call for papers again, I'm sure. <laughs> that comes around way too quickly. <laughs> so what is your uh, VCDX certification? What, uh, when did you pass and what tracks are you certified in? So I am certified in both DCV and NV. Uh, I started my journey just after joining VMware in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, started with the DCV bit, um, got my v VCP in around like May 2013 timeframe, but I, I took a slight break yeah. when uh, I first joined VMware, you know, sucking from the fire hose and kind of figuring out what the job was all about. But then uh, October 2013, October and December, I got my both my VCAPs. Uh, January is when I, January 2014 is when I really started the hard work of getting into the design. Uh, did my first attempt uh, July 2014 and did not pass. And then mm -hmm. got in on my second attempt in uh, October of 2014 uh, and got my NV uh, in February of 2016. Wow. It does, it does take these times to get, get these qualifications, doesn't it? It's, it's Unless you're really sitting down and making a certain effort to get them all done, it, it, it does take a few years to kind of collect them all and, and then get yourself prepared for the VCDX. So it's, uh, it's good, to, good to understand what your timeline was. So are you still involved in the VCDX uh, process in any way at the moment, just for our listeners who may not be familiar with you? 
Yeah, so I'm still an active panelist. Uh, every once in a while, I used to do the, the online and in-person workshops pretty heavily for a few years. Uh, I've backed off of that and handed off to a couple of the guys on my team, uh, Chris Muchler and Jeff Wong. Mm -hmm. uh, though I did just do the one at uh, VMworld yeah, Barcelona. I thought I saw a picture Wednesday of you doing that. I thought, yeah. yep. Yep. So I came out of retirement since I hadn't done one in a year, but it was actually quite a bit of fun. I really, I thoroughly enjoyed doing those. Uh, but yeah, still involved with the program. Great. And, and what's your current role at the moment? Uh, so currently I am a director of the advanced customer engagement team for HCI. Um, we focus on vSphere, VBD, VCF, and vSAN. Uh, we're effectively the team that gets airdropped into the sticky situations where I'll say a higher level architect is needed. Uh, a majority of the people on my team are VCDXs. Uh, but I am actually in transition to that role right now. I'll be switching to uh, leading all of GSS on NSX globally here soon. So very different role, very different job. Wow. So congratulations. It's a new challenge. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, and probably just for a word for all of our listeners, if you have any issues with NSX and the other products you mentioned there, please don't message Joe directly, <laughs> either by Twitter <laughs> or on LinkedIn, just in case you decide that you think that you might try that attempt. <laughs> okay. So, Joe, the reason why I've invited you onto this episode of the VCDX podcast is we've had a lot of questions around the VCDX NV track, so the, the network virtualization. And I've gotten a uh, a few questions from various different people throughout um, the certification world, and I've collaborated three uh, three questions together that I want to. Hopefully, we can clear up on this podcast because they seem to be quite generic questions, but we get them get asked a lot. So, the first question, which is from Bilal Ahmed and Chris Noon, is: What is the level of DCV knowledge expected for NV candidates? So, considering NSXV is built on vSphere and NSXT can run on vSphere as well. And they gave an example of maybe storage isn't their strongest area, um, but they understand that they need storage to run NSXE, for example. How much knowledge do they need to know or be able to show in the NV exam itself? So it's a very common question I would get a lot in the workshops. Mm -hmm. And really what it comes down to is how is it relevant in your design? So an exam a couple of examples I can think of. Um, one is, let's say you're using resource pools for your edges because your edges are mixed in your compute cluster. Um, I will say, you know, normally you probably wouldn't get asked questions about resource pools in an NV exam, but in the sense of that you're using resource pools to manage your edges, you've now just kind of asked us to ask you about it and yeah. make sure that you understand it. Uh, it's It's one of those things where it's, if it impacts your design, you're going to get asked. Um, the storage one is also, I'm not sure what it is about storage that really creeps out network network people. Mm -hmm. um, they always ask the storage question. Um, so it's, it comes down to is, do you need to know the nuts and bolts of your storage? No. You need to understand, is your storage, we'll say, have enough availability to support your design? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, if, if you're running, you know, your controllers on a USB attached storage, probably a bad idea. But yep. you know, if your if you know your array is has availability, no single point of failure, you can meet your three nines, whatever it may be, that's about the extent you need to understand. Do we do we need to get into configurations of the ones and, mm -hmm. and all of the IOPs? No, we're not going to get to that point. Do we would we ever need to ask them around performance? Um if let's say for example you've got an edge cluster and it's running on storage 
would we need to make sure they have enough performance to run those virtual machines or not? They generally, no. I mean, all okay. the MV panels I've done, I can never really remember getting to mm-hmm. storage performance in regards to, NS, to NSX components. Okay. Um, it may We may touch on that if your design pushes us in that direction. But from an NSX component standpoint, um, it's more the, the components are more about CPU and RAM than they are right. IOPS. So okay. generally, no, I haven't seen that. Okay, good to know. All right, question number two, which comes from Anton Davidovsky and Manny Shidu. How much knowledge of physical networking is required for designs incorporating NSXV and or NSXT? So let's say, as another example, there is BGP EVPN solution in the network in question, or maybe some MPLS. Like what level of knowledge is expected there? Very similar to the last question. Enough to be able to understand the implications against your design. Um, the network side, it really comes down to throughput bandwidth. Um, you know, how many, how many NICs the environment has, how that links up into the physical network and understanding each of those hops and making sure you'll have the performance and availability you need to support the design. Are we going to get into specific configs on Cisco switches? No. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's mainly, I'll say, logical level, sometimes a little bit into the physical design principles, but not deep into the weeds. The only exception to that is going to be routing. Um, I will say I have seen some panels get very deep into BGP and OSPF Mm -hmm. um, discussions. Um, And it's mainly because either the the candidate didn't quite understand all the implications of doing OSPF or BGP, um, and we just had to vet that out. But I will say if there's any one piece of the physical network that we do dive down into, it does come down to routing. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So it's not necessarily the physical configuration of the switches, but understanding the routing protocols, how they how they function, and how a change in your design may affect what you have configured in your physical design is is quite important. There's, there's no point. Yeah, in and it's like co- at, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. NSX is overall fairly easy from mm-hmm. a configuration standpoint. The always the challenge has always been is how do you interface it with the customer network, and it's that interface point that you need to understand the most. As you get further and further up the customer's physical network stack, the less and less we care about it effectively. It's just how is that interface designed? How is it implemented? How is it going to work? And that's that's the point at which you need to be concerned about. Okay. And the third question from Paul Petrosky. In the case of NSXT, what is the expected level of knowledge about containers, KVM, and public clouds where you could run a cloud gateway? Interesting question. Um, I would say, again, it also depends upon what's in your design. Now, I'll say from a, a design design defense perspective, I'm going to say the, the requirement of that knowledge is zero unless you have it in your design. If it's in your design, you should be expected to know about it and ask questions on it. But we're not going to come out of the blue. And if you don't have KVM or containers in your design that we're going to say, oh, hey, tell me about containers. Now, that being said, if you look at the blueprint for NV, there is a whole section about consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, so that needs to be something that you consider as you're this designer. Are you hitting that piece of the blueprint? If you don't, um, there's a good chance it's going to end up in your scenario as something that you'll get asked to address. Um, so do you need to understand in depth of all these components? No. 
Um, you should understand different ways of consuming NSX tea and its use cases if you are doing a tea design. Um, so one thing that everyone should know is that if you submit a V design, your scenario will be V based. If you okay. do a T submission, then your scenario will be T based. So don't think we're gonna, you know, you're gonna come in with a V and be expected to know T. So it's one of those things where it just, it helps to understand the use cases and how this stuff will interact and work. Um, but again, we're not, we're not expecting you to be a Docker expert or a KVM expert as you walk into the door. Good to know. I think I think the point that you just made there as well, and if you're if you've got an NSXV design, that you're we're only going to focus really on NSXV during that defense, and vice versa for NSXT. We're not going to swap and change between the two. So, you know, if you're focusing just on NSXT for your design, then safe to say that that is all you need to focus on for the defense. So that's that's good to know and good to clarify. And, and it's a similar thing like on cloud. If you come in with a VCD design, we're not going to you know peg you yeah. on DRA. Yeah, it's you know we'll we'll focus on whatever product you're coming in with. Yeah, good point. Okay, well that that's they're the three main questions that we had. As I said, we had lots of questions, but they pretty much were all asking the same thing, just in different ways. So hopefully that's answered some of your questions. But please, if it doesn't, keep the questions coming in. You can contact us uh, in many different ways, and I'll I'll update that at the end of the, the the episode, and also put some links in the show notes for those of you who still have questions. So, Joe, just before you go, we've got a few closing questions that we typically ask our uh, our special guests. So, what was the most enjoyable part of the VCDX pro- process for you, other than receiving that email saying you you had passed, and and what was the least enjoyable part for you? So, uh, most enjoyable, other than getting the email, <laughs> um, I have to say that the study groups that I had for both the first and second attempt um, are partially what made it fun. Um, we had a really good group with you know. We had Joe Clark, uh, Naran Augustine for the first one uh, was with a handful of others. It's just, we, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs. Uh, We still joke about it from time to time, Mm -hmm. even five years later. Uh, At least enjoyable. (laughs) At least enjoyable. Well, I would say a, uh, a certain question on Ray DP was probably one of the least enjoyable moments. Um, (laughs) I don't know what you mean. Uh, So, uh, no, honestly, I will say for me personally, it was getting started on the document. Uh, My background was not really, um, I hadn't really done a a design document at that level before. So I had a very hard time getting the flow started, getting the outline started, just how to get this monstrosity of a document Mm -hmm. on paper. Uh, The first couple of weeks were pretty painful, pretty frustrating. Uh, but once I got started, it really, really flowed. But I'll say that I dreaded working on it for those couple of weeks. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point. And no one's really brought that up before around the documentation piece. And I'm, I'm very much the same. So I do a lot of documentation in, in Datrium now. And I'm the same. If I have to start something fresh, I, it's very difficult for me to get going. Once I have some content down or literally some headers that I know I need to fill in, then I'm, I'm good. I'm off to the races. But it's just looking at that blank screen and thinking, where on earth do I start? Because you know there's so much information that needs to be in there. So it's, I mean, w- one of the tips I would probably have is just look at the, the the blueprint, for example, and have a look at the, some of the scoring areas that we that we need you to have in your design, and possibly put down some headers and and things on, on a, in a word document or however you want to do it, and then just start filling in some details from there. And at least it gives you something down to then start beginning to to populate. I don't know. Do you have any ideas of of ways that people can approach that? 
Um, yeah, I will say don't do what I did. Um, I, you know, in the role I was in, I had the design in my head completely in the physical form mm -hmm. and I tried to reverse engineer it. So ah. I brain dumped the whole thing down to physical and then tried to reverse into the logical and conceptual. Don't do that. Um, it did not work out well for me. I eventually just scrapped that brain dump, but it was the one thing that helped me was when you're doing the conceptual, think about the conceptual as just the requirements, the constraints, the business requirements, all of those pieces. Once you get those down on paper, the rest of it kind of flows. Yeah. So once I was able to, and unfortunately in my design that we had, we had done it, we never actually captured the requirements and documentation. I know big yeah. no, no, but mm -hmm. I didn't have that document. So I had to reverse that out of my knowledge for it. Yeah. But once I was able to get that on paper, the rest really went nice. Yeah. Good, good, good tip there. So, so knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time, back when you were preparing for VCDX, what, what single piece of advice would you give yourself? So I'll, I'll say a few things. Okay. Um, don't get hung up on the complexity. Um, that was one very big misconception I had early on was the VCDX was about the biggest, baddest environment you can build with every VMware product in existence. Yeah. Um, it's not about that. I think that's one thing I've run into seeing a lot of other people with that same misconception. Um, focus on the business requirements and how you're going to solve it. Doesn't matter if it's 10 hosts, doesn't matter if it's a thousand hosts. Um, just focus on the requirements. Um, and confidence. Mm -hmm. Confidence is what cratered my first defense. Um, couple, couple questions hurt. Yep. It, it sapped the confidence out of me and just kind of goes south from there is don't, don't let that happen to you when you're in defense room, you're going to get asked questions that are, are difficult, um, may knock you off your game a bit, but stay confident in the end and have fun with it. The more fun you have in that room, the better off you'll be. So yep. if I can go back and say to myself, when you, when you walk in there that first time, don't be so nervous because yeah. the second time I went in there and I was laughing and joking with the panel, trying to have more fun with it. And obviously it went way better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think I was in both of your panels, I believe. And I, I definitely remember you coming in the second time being a lot more relaxed than you were in the first defense for sure. And, and going back to the, the point of when, if you get asked a question, you don't know an answer. It, it's not necessarily a mark against you. Don't let that hold you back. Just, put it down as one of the things that, okay, well, I didn't know that. Let's, let's move on to the next thing and see where I can show my knowledge in other areas. Just, just cause you got one question wrong doesn't make it fail. So just, you know, just keep, keep your chin up and just keep moving forward. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, a couple of questions definitely, you know, for me, just like, Oh crap, I didn't know that I'm going to fail. And you get that, you get that little voice in the back of your head and it can do a lot of damage. And to that point, just because you you say I don't know, it's not a bad thing. Just don't say it a lot. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when we're trying to score people up, we'll ask them questions until we get to the point where they they don't know. So it's not like we ask. It's, it's sometimes that we're trying to gauge where your level stops, and sometimes that goes really high, and we're always going to get to that point where you don't know that answer. So you know, it's sometimes a good thing that you that you don't necessarily know a question. So absolutely. So Joe. How can people find you and follow you on the internet before we go? Uh, LinkedIn, I, you know, I'm up there and monitor that with, with everyone else. And then Twitter, uh, VM Prime, 
just V-M-P-R-I-M-E. Um, I'm a Transformers nerd, so you can kind of figure that out. Um, but yeah, those are the two best ways to get a hold of me. I may not answer immediately, but I do keep an eye on both. That's great. And, and, and as I mentioned earlier, please do not submit a support request via Twitter or LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, it's an absolute pleasure getting you on. Thanks for finally joining me. I know you've been busy, so I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, hopefully we'll have, a, have you on again soon. Yep, I appreciate it. And thanks for the time. Right, you. Take it easy. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for on this episode of the VCDX podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please be sure to subscribe, follow me on Twitter at SimonLong underscore, and share this podcast with others who might find it useful. I'll speak to you all again in a month's time.